You're listening to That'll Preach, a weekly segment on the Forks Midtown podcast, pushing the envelope on culture and theology. I'm Brian Zhang. I am leading the uh, college ministries at Forks Midtown and uh, adult education ministry. I'm here with Paul Rizkala, PhD student in philosophy at the Florida State University. And we are in a series called ODG, All Dead Guys. And what we're doing is we're talking about uh, different topics that are important to the Christian life, um, but we're also recruiting some old dead, dead theologians, theologian, theologians, <laughs> theologians, some the old guys, to uh, help us and to guide us in better understanding these things. So we're trying to make uh, church history a little less boring, even though it's not boring. It's not, but uh, we feel like this is going to make it a little more accessible. So we had a good time with this series so far. We've talked mm-hmm. about Augustine. The Cappadocian Fathers, Kappa Cappadocia, <laughs> sorority. And uh, today we're going to talk about God. Yep. So you can't get much uh, more, you know, hit the nail on the head more than saying that. We're going to talk about God. Um, this is an interesting topic because I'd imagine if you were on the average college com- uh, campus, you go to compass. FSU campus, <laughs> you go to FSU and you ask somebody, who is God? You'd probably get... A wide range of answers. I don't think most college students are actually atheists. I don't think they would say, I don't believe there's a God. They would probably say, I believe there's some kind of higher power. Or They're just hippies. God's in the trees, man. Mm-hmm. God's in the, God's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the butterflies and the, you know, in the clouds or, you know, God's Morgan Freeman, you know, <laughs> just kind of like, can you do that? Well, well, I created the world and I don't know. I'm trying to think like, That's like, like Morgan Freeman in, in Shawshank Redemption. He's like, Andy Dufresne <laughs> was the greatest man I ever knew. I created the world in seven days and I enjoyed every moment of it. That's the best worst Morgan Freeman accent. I appreciate that. Impression. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I'd say the average student or maybe even American would give a very, even Christian would give a very vague spiritual Christianese type of answer yeah. about God. Christianese. And I mean, you're in the academic world. Does this infect the academic world too? It's funny. There was one instance where uh, when I was doing a graduate class in theology, our professor had students go up to the board and just write or draw on the board what they thought God was. And so one person drew like a butterfly, one person drew like a rainbow, one person just drew like a circle. <laughs> and then like funnily enough i thought the professor was going to be like okay you guys are all wrong here's what god is she was just like well you guys are all correct because god is whatever she draws a giraffe god's actually a giraffe god is whatever you want him to be god is oh like the spiritual depth fuzzy fart rainbow inside of you fuzzy oh. fart rainbow you heard yeah. it here first is that what you drew it's like uh, you you go up, you take like fifteen minutes. I draw and like just an like, equation. I, <laughs> you equation. You're like, no, trust me, this is it. I've done the math. But all that to say, it's sort of a vague, abstract question, and it, it's so it's so big that sometimes we can punt on the question and just yeah. say whatever, and we can always sort of bring up the get out of jail free card that says, well, no one can know God. Right, right. You know, your guess is as good as mine because we're talking about mm. God. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, we can't know him. He's infathomable and all that stuff, which is funny because that's something you know about God. Right, you're still saying something about God. You're still saying something about God, right? Yeah. But 
it, it does touch on a serious question about our language about God. I mean, mm -hmm. we're using human words to describe right. divine realities. We're using finite words, divine infinite realities. Right. So it, it does press that question and people in the history of the church have wrestled with that question rightfully mm -hmm. so. So it's not something we totally want to discount, but I think sure. there's better ways of dealing with it. And uh, one guy that's going to really help us is Tommy Boy. Big Tommy. Big Tommy. <laughs> Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas. Now, is Aquinas his last name? No, Thomas Aquinas, Aquinas is the name of the city that he was from. So like Jesus of right. Nazareth. That'd be I guess funny that doesn't if, really work, but yeah. It'd be funny if his last name was like Thomas, like, Johnson, or Johnson, or yeah, Thomas, <laughs> Thomas Zang. Smith, yeah, Thomas, Zang, right, yeah, but okay, so Thomas, yeah, the great uh, philosopher, theologian, mm -hmm. one of the most brilliant minds in church history, arguably the one of the greatest Christian minds who ever lived. Can you give us a little brief? What what'll give us the biggest insight to who Thomas was? <laughs> Thomas Aquinas, theologian, lived in the 11th and 12th centuries. Um, wanted to become a theologian. His parents wanted him to become a lawyer. So they wanted to disqualify him from ministry by literally locking him in a tower with a prostitute in hopes that he would sin and disqualify himself from ministry. Uh, funnily enough, legend has it that he chased her out of the tower with a hot iron from the fire. And so he preserved his integrity and became a great theologian for This us. is like the opposite parenting experience for 99% of the people who have lived. <laughs> Christian. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I will not sin with this woman. Get her out of this house. Well, yeah. you know, that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah. But brilliant theolo uh, mm -hmm. theological mind. What, I mean, his big work is the... The Summa Theologiae. Right. Massive. Uh, he claims to have had a vision at the end of his life after writing millions of words for the church on theology and philosophy... Um, where he sees heaven, he sees God, and he says, all of my work is like straw, just burn it. It's nothing compared to what I've seen. And his publisher was like, well, let's not burn it. <laughs> let's not burn it. Like <laughs> He was known to dictate and write several books at the same time, just dictating to like six different scribes. Yeah, he was, he was, a, he was the equivalent of a savant or a polymath. And you're only writing guy. like two books at a time and yeah. dictating to your TAs, right? To you, Brian. To me, right. <laughs> Right. Well, so Aquinas, he, he gives us some good thoughts about how do we use language about God? Mm -hmm. Now, I want to, if you're listening to this, you might be like rolling your eyes, being like, why do we need to talk about this? Well, can you just trust, you, you've been, hopefully you've been listening to us for a little bit, just trust us on this. There's a light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel. There's, this is an important thing to think about. And in reality, the fact that, you know, the church tradition has thought about it so much tells us that maybe it is worth thinking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this isn't just, you know, this really matters because who God is matters and answering that question matters. Like when we talk about God, what are we talking about? Mm -hmm. why, why, you know, what, what is unique about the Christian understanding of who God is? Right. Uh, and we need to talk about that correctly. So <clears throat> Aquinas, um, how would he answer the hippie who says, we're knocking on hippies, but just bear with us, who says, man, you can't know God, man. He's too big, man. Yeah. I mean, there there is an element of truth to that. Like there's something to God is so big that talking about God is kind of difficult or strange. Um, so that's one error, though. On the other extreme is the other error that like our human minds can totally grasp God. 
and like there's no mystery. Uh, we can just exhaustively understand him. We've got perfect vocabulary to understand God. So on the one hand, you've got like the hippy dippy, loose, we can't know God answer on one side. And on the other hand, you have the, we can totally grasp God exhaustively with our puny human brains. So Aquinas is going to say there's a middle way between these two that's in line with the Christian tradition. And that is we can speak truthfully about God, but our vocabulary and our words are used um, analogously. Like we're using analogies when we talk about God. So one, one example is good. We say God is good. Now, what do we mean when we say God is good? God is not like good in the same sense we are. Uh, we know God is good because we look into creation. We see flowers. We see kids laughing. We see all these beautiful good things. And so from those, you can infer that there's a good cause of those good effects. So God's goodness is something like the goodness that we see in the world. The difference is God is a totally different being than we are. So Isaiah talks about how God tells us that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we shouldn't expect God's goodness to be perfectly or exactly like ours because our goodness is imperfect. It's flawed. Um, God's goodness is perfect. It's eternal. It's part of his nature. Essentially, it can never fail. Um, it's infinite. It's all these kinds of things. So our vocabulary of good tells us something about God, but it tells us in an incomplete or an imperfect way. And that's important because you don't want to look at, well, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, his ways higher than mine. And, and imagine, for, for example, you don't want to see something that's clearly, you don't want to say that God is, uh, that, that um, it's arbitrary, that God could do something evil because he right. did it, it's good. <laughs> right, right. Right? That, that it's not just a guessing game in mm -hmm. our language. Right. And if you think about what an analogy is, there is some relationship between, it, analogy is simply this is like this. Right. Not exactly, right. but enough of a relationship that it's one can illuminate yes. and, and give you true, it maps onto something true about something else. Exactly, yeah. Right? And it also eliminates things that it can't be. Right. right? So, so it's not saying we can get God down to the exact decimal point, mm -hmm. but it is saying that we can know true things about God. Right. We can say that he's good and not put an asterisk being like, but good could mean evil. Right. We have no idea. Right. Mm -hmm. right? So that's an important way to talk about that. The, the way of, the, the way of analogy. And so you mentioned goodness and, mm -hmm. and it's an incomplete knowledge. Right. And um, it's, it's important too, because it shows us that like God is the only one who can have perfect knowledge of himself. Okay. Talk about that. What does that mean? So because we are finite creatures with, minds that are finite. I mean, we talked about the Trinity in the last podcast. The Trinity is really difficult to comprehend. We should not expect to be able well, to for get you. our minds. <laughs> that's right. Brian's got it like totally sorted. Yep. We've got the Trinity and that that's God in his nature. That's really difficult to get our minds around. So again, we shouldn't expect our language. We shouldn't expect our metaphors to be able to grasp the Trinity perfectly. But who knows the Trinity perfectly? The Trinity. God right, knows right, himself right, perfectly. Right. So one difference between God and creatures, us, is that we have imperfect knowledge of God, but God is the only one who knows himself perfectly um, because he is himself, um, which we'll talk about God's knowledge a little bit later in the podcast, but that's one other way, one other implication of our language when we talk about God. What other ways does Aquinas help us understand the nature of God? Well, he also helps us see God as being simple. And I know that's kind of counterintuitive because you think like God is the creator, right. he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's, he's all really these complex. Things. Right. Right. 
But it's the exact opposite in this way, that God is not composed of parts like we are. So we are body and soul in one union. God is not body and soul. He's not comprised or put together of his goodness and his love and all these different things. He is just being itself, but but in a personal way. I know that that's kind of abstract, but think of it in terms of one major difference between humans and God is humans are composites or they are like these dual things that are body and soul. God is not body and soul. God is just one immaterial thing. Um, Humans are like, Brian, you are a human being. Yes. It's controversial, but I think that that's correct. I'm looking at you now. Pending. Yeah. So you are one human being of the race or the species of human being. So there is a human nature. There's homo sapiens. There's all these ways of characterizing the human species. You are just one of those things, right? You don't encapsulate or have all of human nature in your one body. But it's different with God. God doesn't belong to a species or a class. God isn't one God among all the different gods that exist in the world. Divine nature is just the one God. All of deity lives in God, whereas not all of human nature lives in Brian. Brian is one particular thing of a class or a species. God is, he has divine nature totally wrapped up in himself. So he is, he's not a part of a category. Exactly. So I guess if you think about, uh, I know some people would say, well, you know, the Greeks believed in the Greek gods, mm. but there's a difference between Greek gods and right. God God, right? Yeah, they're not. I mean, the, well, for one, the Greek gods don't exist. Okay, <laughs> so, well, so yeah, okay, they, fair they, enough. They don't have fair enough. The only thing that is eternal, omniscient, omnipotent is just the divine nature. Live perfectly eternally. God is not like God didn't graduate at the top of his class and right. then become and like then the become, best. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Contra like Mormonism or like some of these other. There wasn't a test that he passed to become God or something. Right, he just, he is perfectly always divine nature um, in a way that like no human is ever perfectly human nature. Well, the Greek gods are interesting because they're essentially just people with superpowers. Right, They're just human beings with superpowers. And very sinful. (laughs) And very sinful. And many of them are born. And and so one, like the Greek gods are sort of what you would imagine if people made up what gods would be like, that would be them. exactly. But we almost, and, yeah. it makes sense that God would not be like us. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess the Greek gods, they're part of a class of this thing called God. Right, exactly. Right, so mm-hmm. Zeus is still he's one of the, he's one the, chair of of the gods. Right? right, he's a chair. He may be the best one, the highest one, the most powerful, but he's still not the only, the right. one. Christianity teaches that there is only one God. There's right. only one divine nature and he doesn't compete. Like he right. just is deity. He is divinity. And that's it. Nothing else is in that category. Right. The buck stops there. There's nothing higher. And that means also that like R.C. Sproul has a famous video on YouTube where he gives a lecture and he says, basically, God does not exist. And that sounds controversial. It sounds counterintuitive. But if you think of God doesn't belong in any category, existence is something that we can only talk about with creatures, with water bottles and people. And even universes, like the universe exists. Brian exists. Water bottles, cats, butterflies, they exist. God is not a thing in a category that can exist or not exist. God just is existence. When he tells Moses, this is my personal name, 
I am that I am. I am who I am. When Jesus tells the Jews, uh, before Abraham was, I am. Before, or in order to uh, see heaven, you must believe that I am. When Jesus tells the soldiers who come to arrest him, I am, they fall back. That title of I am shows that God is, God just is existence. He is the thing that allows everything to exist. He holds all of creation. And nothing's allowing him to exist. Right. So sometimes we tend to think of like, uh, I've got a piece of paper in my hand and I can draw a bunch of arrows Mm -hmm. showing like the order of causation. Sometimes we like to think of, okay, well, God is like the first arrow who like starts everything. But actually God is the piece of paper. God is the thing that like allows me to even draw arrows. So God is like, God is pure being. He is existence itself. Um, For all of us as creatures, we are nouns, basically. Like you're a human, there's a butterfly. God isn't a noun almost. God is like a verb. God is existence. And I know that's kind of heady and maybe a little bit abstract, but it's kind of- I can't wait to name this God doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. Yeah, we should probably- be great. This makes so many hits. It is. I mean, it's cool because it shows you that like God is like a distinct thing. He's like very unlike us. One of the- one of the illustrations that I've heard you use a lot, and I think a lot of philosophers use this, is the author and the character illustration, mm-hmm. where the author transcends every category right. in the story. If you mm-hmm. asked Harry Potter how to categorize J.K. Rowling, he'd be like, I don't even, right. he's, she's not a character in the story. Right. She's not a place. Right. She's I, I, like, there's, we don't even have a word for her. Exactly. Because without her, none of this exists. Mm-hmm. No categories exist without her. Mm-hmm. She simply is the author. Absolutely. And the, you know, and, and, uh, in a sense, she's the one who writes every line of the story. The whole story depends on her Absolutely. at every single point and every mm-hmm. single moment. And the difference, you know, she didn't start the first word and the rest of the book wrote itself. Yeah. I mean, and the difference with Christianity or this special thing is that in Christianity, the author writes himself into the story. Right. And becomes one of the characters and lives with the characters and teaches the characters about himself. Mm-hmm. If I am the author of your story. I'm living with you. I'm eventually going to suffer for you and die for you so that you can live with me forever. So think of this as like understanding who God is in himself helps us better appreciate the story of Jesus. Because in the same way that Tolkien or J.K. Rowling, um, if they were to write themselves into the story, just hypothetically, that's like that's huge. It's, it's humiliating. It's condescending. It's reversing the role from author to character. But God does that. For our sake, he writes himself into our story and plays by our rules and lives like a human and suffers and dies. Um, and he gives himself to us. And it's because of that that we can really know who God is. In the same way that an author who writes himself into the story can teach the characters about himself, God in becoming human teaches us and shows us his character, shows us his goodness, shows us his compassion, his justice, his love for people um, in a way that like you can't know just by looking at butterflies and the cosmos and looking out through telescopes. It's a totally different kind of knowledge. So just to sum up what we've gone so far, there is, when people go, man, God is so big, so infinite, how can we know him? There is some truth to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the solution isn't one to just go, so let's just, there's no knowledge of God. We can't know him at all. So everyone's guess is equal. Right, right. Or let's just imagine what we think God should be and build up from us. Let's just mm-hmm. add superpowers and make us live forever. And that's what God is. Right. So that's the wrong way too. But a wrong way also to say, no, we can put God under a microscope and we can get him down to the decimal point and, and, and mm-hmm. dissect him to pieces. No, we, th- there is a limit to our knowledge of God. Right. 
And the solution to this question of how can we know God if he's God is, well, one, God has revealed himself to us. Exactly. Right? He's mm-hmm. on his, in his own terms, especially through the incarnation. He's sent Jesus. He's come in the flesh mm-hmm. to reveal what God is like. But also when we talk about God, there is a way to talk about God. Oops. Someone's speaking <laughs> if someone's texting me. There is a way to talk about God by analogy where we can say true things about God without saying we're saying everything exhaustive. there is exhaustive yeah. about God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it kind of keeps us from both sides of the ditch saying yeah. that we can get God exactly to saying there's nothing at all. We know about God's complete mystery. No, mm-hmm. there's a middle way. We can know true things about God without saying we know everything about God. Mm-hmm. And that's by way of analogy. And that's what Aquinas is talking about. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, now you said, you, you said you're going to pick up on God's knowledge yeah. and, you talked about the author is kind of like that, or mm-hmm. maybe even like a, an artist or something like that. Can you can you tease that out a little bit? Yeah. So one one helpful way to think about so Tolkien, for example, before he writes Lord of the Rings, he has in his mind the story. He has the characters. He has everything, even before he writes it. He doesn't learn Frodo's personality. He doesn't learn how the story is going to work out. He doesn't learn these things by looking at the book. He creates the book. He creates the story. And so if Tolkien wants to know what's going to happen next, all he has to do is consult his own mind. Um, He doesn't learn about the story from reading the story because it's his story. It's inside of himself. So God is like that. God, he doesn't learn things. He doesn't feel and experience and learn new knowledge by sensation He doesn't learn by like looking out into the world and seeing, okay, what's Brian going to do today or tomorrow? And then, oh, oh, he's going to drink his Whataburger drink. Oh, he's going to put it down. Oh, he's going to look at me weird. This is an organic (laughs) uh, seaweed, kale. That's right. Very healthy. uh, Disgusting. Not worth consuming. But the point is there that God, in his knowledge, all of his knowledge comes from knowledge of himself. He doesn't learn by looking outside of himself, all of his knowledge is self-contained. So when an artist goes to paint a painting, all of that information about what's going to come out on the canvas is already inside that artist. He knows what the eyes are going to look like. He knows what shade. He knows that there's going to be a pinkish hue. That's that's a word that's underutilized. Pinkish hue on the cheeks. All of that information comes from inside of himself. So God's knowledge is like that. He doesn't have to reason. He doesn't have to do two plus two equals four. He doesn't have to do long division to figure out what the answer is. He knows all of these things just eternally in one moment because they're all inside his mind forever. He he writes that story. And so all of those ideas are original to him and it doesn't come from observation or from learning. Okay, but how do we handle like the Bible verses where God repents or God regrets or God, you know, it gets angry or, feel, or seems to feel emotion. What do we do with those? That's exactly why the language of analogy is so important okay. because they are communicating something to us about God's character, that God is just and he cares about justice. He cares when his laws violate. He cares when we harm ourselves. Um, so they're, they're, they're capturing, again, we're using imperfect human language to capture a God who is perfect and infinite and recognizably good and just and beautiful but not perfectly in the ways that our language. So when it says that he's angry, 
our anger gives us a glimpse, like it shows us that there's something wrong that he does not approve of. Right. But we can't imagine our face God's not in fuming. the sky right. with like right. a red right. face and, you mm-hmm. know, with a scowl, right? Because he right. doesn't have a face. Okay. Exactly. So, so yeah, the analogy. Language of analogy is super important at helping us understand the language that we use when we talk about God. That It's capturing something of his character, but it's not. Yeah, like you said, it would be inappropriate to imagine just like a big face in the sky fuming when you think of God angry. That anger is more God is so just and perfect and righteous that any unrighteousness or sin is just so far from his purview that it doesn't match up with his character. But it's not it's not fuming or God blowing smoke out of his ears or anything like that. And it's not untrue. You know, it's like right. it's like if you told a toddler that's a sunrise. When right. you really know the earth right. revolves around the sun, mm-hmm. you're not lying to them. Right. But you're communicating something in, that a, makes, way that they can in a way that they can understand. Yeah. And it maps onto something that is true. Exactly. Right? At least mm-hmm. in your perception of it. Yeah. So I think that's that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. A lot of this might sound abstract. What do you tell to the person right now who's like in the middle of their jog or listening to this on double speed? You're just like, what, what is that? Doing Zumba. Doing Zumba. <laughs> What's, why do we care? What's the practical application of this? I think, so sometimes it's good to look for practical applications. It's not always good. Like sometimes asking for a practical application is kind of misguided because it means like, okay, so like, what does this have to do with me? Right. Like, what can I take Christianity is like just one big, like practical life hack. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, self-centered. Yeah. It yeah. is kind of saying, well, unless I can apply this today to help something with me, right. I don't care about it. Mm-hmm. Like imagine if Brian were married to a hypothetical woman, like just imagine. Uh, and like she's stretching the boundaries of our, <laughs> our conceivability. Yeah. And she's going to tell him about like her vacation when she was four. She went to the mountains with her family. Like it would be weird for Brian there to be like, okay, well, what's the practical application of this? Like, why am I, Man, I hate is this, this gonna Brian be on, guy? This Brian guy is like a jerk. He sounds terrible, right? Like, terrible. is this going to be on the quiz? Is gonna, like if you only think it's worthwhile to pursue information when it's super practical or applicable, then you miss out on like developing relationships and with knowing people. the person. Right. Yeah. And right. knowing God means we like, it's important to know God's character and nature, even if it's a little bit complex in the same way that we, it's important to know our friends and our spouses and our people in our lives, even if there's no direct application, it's just a good thing. That's what you do in friendship and relationship. And we have a relationship with God through Jesus. So better understanding his nature is good for us. It reminds us of how big God is, how amazing God is, how small we are, how loved we are. And it makes the story of the gospel so much more powerful. The bigger God is, the more powerful the incarnation is. The more humble it is. Exactly. Right. The more costly it is. Mm-hmm. And this is who you're singing about. This right. is who you're reading about. This mm-hmm. is the identity of God. Yeah. Arguably, I mean, not arguably, that is the most is, important thing you could think about. Absolutely. Who God is. Absolutely. And that drives our worship. Mm-hmm. And maybe it, the fact that this is kind of brain stretching just reveals more about us yeah. and our unwillingness to realize that we're not God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Like you start to seeing how big God is and how you know incredibly powerful he is and his knowledge and all this stuff, mm-hmm. how beyond us, then you're like, he probably can't take care of me. Yeah, yeah. He probably does know what he's doing. He probably is wise. I probably should listen to what he, when he's like, that's who's speaking to you in mm-hmm. the word. Right. You know, so you probably should listen. Absolutely. Right. And you're going to have a perception of God, no matter what mm-hmm. you're going to, whether it's a bright ball of energy in your mind, right. whether it's a Tom and Jerry cartoon with an old guy yep. with wings or whatever, 
you're going to think about God in some way. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not whether you're going to think about God, but whether or how, how, you know, is that, is your conception of God accurate? Right. And we want to be as accurate as we can be while having the humility to know, okay, like, yeah. Like there's something inexhaustible. And it's funny, funny because people are like, don't put God in the box. And I'm like, well, unless God puts God in the box yeah, and says yeah. like, you know, like, I'm all powerful. Right. Uh, you know, like that's, <laughs> you know, th- then God does say like, I am not certain things. Right. I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, that's important mm-hmm. as well. So recapping. Yeah. We got, we can speak truly about God through analogies. Yep. And Thomas Aquinas helps us do that. Mm-hmm. Um, God is simple. Right. He's not composed of parts. He doesn't change. He's not one of a category. He right. just is divine. He's the author of the story, not part yep. of the story. He transcends all the categories. And he his knowledge of all things is his knowledge of himself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't learn by observation. Right. He doesn't see how things turn out and then write down notes in his notebook, his mm-hmm. God notebook. He knows all <laughs> things immediately yep. from the from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And then this is all this is in a sense the practical thing is well the practical reality of knowing your spouse, knowing mm-hmm. your friends. Yep. This is part of what relationship is. And uh, what's a good introduction to Thomas Aquinas? Are there any videos or, or books or, you know, because yeah. it might be tough to go right into the Summa. Yeah, actually, we should probably not do that. That's right. even hard for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, some videos that even we used in putting this together, shamelessly, Aquinas101.com. Uh, they've got some great, well, like awesome animated videos on a lot of this stuff. Pictures. Yeah. Pictures, lots of very easy to understand diagrams. Um, and if you're interested in more, you can always ask us and we'll point you in the right direction. You can ask Paul. Yeah. You can ask me. Well, uh, hopefully that was enlightening for you again, please subscribe, leave a comment, let us know what you think. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. You can follow us at four Oaks college. We can give you more updates about the podcast, but We're going to be here every Tuesday with more content. Let your friends know. We'll be continuing this series. Thanks for listening.